How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. How are you? You know, um, we, we're doing great, man. We just had a fun week in Miami. It uh, culminated in us both uh, getting contracting whatever disease your son had. Or maybe it was the maybe it was the son of Florida that gave us um, some poisoning. But um, we had a good time down there talking about business, talking about code. It's always fun to get together and hallway track it up with fellow business uh, coder entrepreneurs. You know, um, so For I'm still sure. kind of riding off the high of that. It was lots of good <laughs> conversations and lots to give me lots to think about. Um, so uh, yeah, we uh, came back with some. Some, some ideas for what we wanted to work on next on Build UI. We thought uh, this episode, we just talk about some of the, the coding work we've been doing because we actually have, you know, like a business piece of business software now that has real paying customers. And uh, no better way to learn about uh, real world challenges with tech than uh, when you have uh, some skin in the game, you know, as we'd like to say. Yes. <laughs> so um, specifically, we uh, have been... We're changing some of our uh, pricing. I guess we're we're adding an annual or a lifetime plan rather to Build UI. So, to set the stage for the conversation, um, currently Build UI is a subscription uh, screencast website, and uh, it's where we put our premium videos, and you can subs- subscribe um, uh, for twenty nine dollars a month and, and get access to all the premium videos. And uh, two weeks ago, we had the ability to uh, buy a single course at a lifetime price and partially, you know, as basically not partially directly as a result of this kind of, uh, this founders retreat that we were on, we've decided to add lifetime plans. Uh, we think it's a better fit for like our users and, um, we think it's, it, it just makes more sense in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, this is not a business podcast it's a technical podcast, but I wanted to set the stage for the kind of work that we were doing so we could talk about some of the coding work we did this week. Mm-hmm. So um, we use Stripe for our billing and we use Hasura for our data layer and we use Next.js for our front end and back end. So that's kind of what we're working with. And uh, yeah, how, how do you think it went? Missing some, <laughs> you might be missing, missing some pieces in there. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we use uh, HiGraph for our, um, our content. Yeah, I I just and skipped that fi- because Firebase, it's, it's not Firebase really for our auth. yeah Firebase. Oh, no, for it's, it's gonna yeah. come up. It, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Actually, it does come up. So um, those are like the core pieces. Yep, Firebase for the auth and um, High Graph. If you've listened to earlier episodes of this podcast, uh, I guess in the last like four months or so since we started Build UI, five months. Um, high graph. We pulled. We had originally had content. Did we ever have it in? I guess we never had it in Hasura, did we? We we did. But we did. It was yeah. It was a short so. time until we moved it out and wanted like that singleton CMS instance. Um. So uh. Yeah. The first uh change that let's just walk through kind of what we did and just talk about what the work we did mostly yesterday. Yeah, I guess like um. Should we talk about how, like, I guess you mentioned we did add purchases a few weeks ago, and, and that's what a lot of this builds off of. Right. Um, yeah, so yesterday we wanted a way for you to uh, basically do a one-time payment, and with that one-time payment, uh, you would have access forever. So 
Uh, Stripe Stripe is great with this. You they have a whole this is like a checkout API where you basically encode. You get to define like everything you want to sell, the terms, the, the collection, uh, the prices, and you basically build up this app, this object. Call the uh, call some Stripe API in their their JavaScript library, and that returns a URL, and you just send the user off to that URL, and that whole checkout screen is what they call it is built. So that's pretty awesome. We were able to just say instead of doing a subscription, uh, we're just going to collect a one time payment. It's for this much. Uh, and so on. Um, once I go through that, uh, they kind of stay on Stripe's site for a bit until the uh, the charge is confirmed. And then Stripe pings one of our webhooks saying like, hey, we just charged this person and we're about to send them back to you basically. So we get to set up our database, tell Stripe, okay, we're ready. We set up our database and the user comes back to us. And we at that point, we should have like, their access all set up, their account set up, you know, they're ready to start watching videos. Right, right. Um, so that's all happening in Hasura. Hasura is where we keep our user accounts, our subscriptions, and then as of two weeks ago, our, our purchases. And yeah. so when you first go to the site, we, we have like a token that we use to capture your email because this is something else we can chat about maybe. But uh, right now, the way it works is that you put your email into our form on our site for whatever you want to buy subscription or a product and um, then you click check out so at that point we put you in a row in our table one of our tables or we we find that you're already there and we create a token that we can send back and then so when we hit that webhook and they come back now we can update it like you said and link the user to a subscription or a charge uh, in stripe and so that yep. all ties that together. And, and, and then um, they come back, they finish their account setup, and then uh, to determine whether they have access to a particular lesson, we can see, do they have a subscription that's active or do they have a purchase for a course that that lesson belongs to? So, um, yeah, the first, thing, the first thing that I noticed is, so, before we talk about lifetime, the first thing is that um, we both have a lot of experience working with Rails and Rails has a really solid, not only do they have solid tools for domain modeling, they have solid education around it. So I, I feel like with with this stuff, um, probably even more with Build UI than with EmberMap uh, because with, with EmberMap, we still had like a Rails backend, you know? And so if we wanted to do some extra stuff in there, we could. Here I've found several times where you and I are working together and we say, oh, we reach for something like a, like uh, some concept from Rails, let's say, like a, like, like a polymorph, polymorphism, let's say. Mm -hmm. But the specific implementation of polymorphism in Active Record, which is to, to make something a purchasable and then you can have many things that conform to that interface, right? Um, uh, you can you can purchase a product, you can purchase a subscription, and so there are common characteristics between those things. And Rails has all these mechanisms for setting that up, and then also setting things up that are different, right? Because subscriptions have unique uh, characteristics about them that purchases don't, but then there are things that are in common as well. Um, the other thing that we 
reach for a lot, or at least I, I think we, we, we get like just that spidey sense when you're coding something is like the inversion of control thing. Um, mm -hmm. or maybe like, what was a law Demeter that like Ben Ornstein used to talk about, you know, where you're, you you kind of find yourself like passing too much data and, and if you kind of invert it, then it just makes things easier. And I, I feel like that came up when we were talking about like access, you have a user and you're trying to see if they access things. And it's like, Law of Demeter, Law of Demeter is like you, um, that's a too long of a chain of methods, right? right? You, you don't like, if you work for a company, you don't get to ask like the building management where the bathroom is. Like right. you ask your boss where the bathroom is and right. your boss obviously doesn't know. So your boss asks like his boss, but from your point of view, you don't see your boss asking his boss. So it's basically you're hiding the complexity of the system. Right by only talking to objects that are like closely re related to you. Right. I think it's related because I, I, it's come up before because in a lot of the systems that like we're building today and like this one, for example, or the ones that we work on with our, our, our consulting projects, there is a lot of knowledge, right? And ways to solve right. that are, for example, like law Demeter and rails where you, you can delegate and delegate and delegate. So you just ask your boss, boss ask the, you know, the, the janitor or whatever. Um, and every there's there's just layers and there's tools in Rails that make that very easy, and then there's like the inversion thing, which is like instead of saying, um, "Can watch user video," you can say like, you know, "User dot can watch video," or you know, "Can access this thing," right? And it's like it's kind of another way of like you can move that logic. It, into like a user model because that model exists uh, and it's can it knows how to find related models and those things are like loaded when you're working with those domain objects in your system and so the, the, i mean there's that rails has like a whole layer for this like right it's very clear like i need to have business logic where does it go right well, open the video model and add your business logic about videos there yeah right exactly so um yeah, I thought this was interesting to just talk about because you you said you said something when we were talking when we were pairing yesterday and you were like, you know, I think the JavaScript ecosystem has a lot to learn here. Uh, and uh, from from like the Rails ecosystem or, or just fr from these backend systems that are more mature from from OO. That was kind of the interesting thought, right? That was the, that was like the interesting nugget that made me want to talk about this today was that we're used to just like writing with functions and like we went through this whole phase with JavaScript, dude, where like JavaScript was using classes a lot. Like Angular, OG Angular was like using classes, Ember used classes. It it actually like I don't know if you remember, but like in not too long ago during like our time working together, like you weren't always just importing functions from from NPM packages, right? You wouldn't just mm -hmm. but like today if if you if you like created a new like moment class to like create a formatter and then you call it like formatter dot, dot format and you pass in something like Mirage, even Mirage, right? Mirage, we like, we, we, we imported like a capital S server, you know, and nude it up. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm going to push back here. I think most JavaScript libraries use classes. I think you can open up very popular JavaScript libraries and they're going to use classes. I think they expose a functional interface. That's my because point. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, yeah, I know because that's popular. But I think that like the class stuff gets a bad rep for for bad re for very bad reasons. I know that, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying okay. look at look at our app. 
look look at any of our apps. Look, look at any of the apps we work on. Do they import any classes from anything? Like when's the last time you installed an NPM class and imported a class or an NPM library and imported a class from it? Yeah, AWS stuff probably. I think that's like <laughs> And that's like ghetto, it's old, right? <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, I mean, what, if you no. were if you were gonna publish a new NPM library today, would you expose a class for people to new up? It depends. Like dinosaur. Like Next JS library. Like, no, no, I wouldn't. Because, but I think that's because that's what's popular. But I, I do think classes are really good at some things, really bad at some things. And I think most of like the React apps we build, you don't want to use classes. You want functions that compose. You want components that compose. So, But I think that leads to people thinking classes are bad, functional programming good only ever use functions, which I, I find upsetting. I totally agree with you. I, I, so, so my point was that this really like this kind of work that we did where due to our experience working with full stack frameworks that are old, you know, like that are old is not the right word that, that are long, that have been around long enough to build up abstraction, the right time tested abstractions to help help people to give them some guidance when it comes to this stuff. Um, classes are a really good fit. And, and you said that you said, I think JavaScript has a lot to, to learn from OOP. And yeah, I just thought it really interesting that again, not too long ago, we did use classes in our client code. We did import classes from NPM packages and libraries. Um, and they, they were a bad fit for UI work and uh, functions are a better fit for UI work, but that's not always all the work that you do, right? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk about like what, like I, I think it's worth like talking about what classes are good at and then what functions are good at. Yeah. So, and I think it just like, um, when I think about like functions, I think like functions are nice. Uh, I think, I, I don't know like how far down like yeah. abstraction <laughs> I wanna go here, but I just like, Functions compose really well. Like, like what is like that? The the f of g is you can create a new f function. g of x. Like f, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, right. Um, functions compose really well, and functions and just like think of like a React tree. Like, not even just think about like functional programming. Like, with a React tree, like you can just take out a big chunk of of React of JSX and like paste it somewhere else. And you're, you're probably going to get that input. You're probably going to get the output of like the tree you just copied and pasted. If you paste it into another file, like based on which file it's in, like the output doesn't change. It's very easy to just move the JSX around now. Like, right. you know, some stuff might depend on like context and stuff, but for the most part, it's like really easy to just copy a big chunk of JSX, paste it somewhere. Um, same with functions, right? You can just copy out functions replace the inner parts of the value. What do they call this? Is like referential transparency. Yep. But it's really easy to debug this stuff. There's not like um there's not like life cycles states. of a class, right? With an yeah, init there's not like function. Hidden, hidden state going on. Again, like context is probably like the most you can ever hide state in a React app. But yeah, for the most part you can just copy and paste this stuff around. And then like the composition is awesome. Like you have a function that returns something and then you have like another function from another library that takes us something and those two things can just magically wire up. And when everyone is building React apps, uh, 
that's like it's beautiful because they're building off like the same primitives and um, they compose so so well. Yep. Um, yeah, I want. I want to. I want to mention too. There was there was a time while we were pairing yesterday before we <laughs> we hit our pit of despair where we were you know we were working on the UI stuff and we and we were like changing the interface of a component. We were like, man, React is just so good. Like we say that a so lot good. actually while we work yeah. because it is such a good fit for UI and the functional paradigm, which you can basically think of a component as a function, right? Um, I mean, it literally is, but you can also think of it like it. And like you said, if you look at a tree of JSX, you look, you can literally think of it as like nested function calls. Um, and so it's a natural way to express it. And it's also a natural way to work with other things. There, there's also something I think that's like a, a long lived UI is like, um, render frames like a camera that are mm -hmm. like snapshotting over time and again um functions are a very natural way to express something like that whereas a server request you know um with like a model layer it's just like it, it faces different uh constraints yeah. it has different it has different like um features about it it's true yeah you get the, the request comes in the door and your job is to get it out as quickly as possible yeah and you're not dealing with any long-lived state or anything like that. So yeah, um, you were gonna go over you were to say something. Yeah, yeah, over to objects. Like I think, or or like OP. Like objects are good at <laughs> dude, the one thing they're good at: <laughs> uh, state, behavior, and identity. Like that's what that's what an object is. And so when you need to like represent the those three things, objects objects are great. They're uh, they kind of fall apart when you want to like start changing things and you have like these big object graphs and they start modifying their own internal data and maybe they get out of sync or, you know, that's sort of where, where I found big complex, um, yeah. OO systems kind of fall apart. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's why the whole like, uh, one directional data flow that passes through functions and functions that are written as like purely as possible versus trying to debug like a stack trace from Ember where you do have lots of long lived objects with their own life cycles and knits and, and they modify shit like that. That's because they're long lived. They have like state and now you can be mutating that shared state from like different directions. There's not this clear one directional flow that made it hard to understand how the UI was changing as opposed to these frames where you can just like literally drop a debugger in and like you have started from scratch. That was such a beautiful thing about when, when react first came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we should say too, like in react, like there's, there's obviously state, but we don't right here. Like we don't feel like we're not maintaining that state. We yeah. just, we call set state and we just expect the whole system to rerun and, and update. I think so. I, so when we started talking about this and, and, and you said like, man, this is like behavior. This is like why we need an object. Um, it was on this part of the code of, of the work we were doing where it's like, like, can a user watch this piece of content? Right. And it's like, do they have a subscription? Do they have a course purchase for this course? Um, we were like passing the current user in each time I had asked, oh, is there any way to like get this? And also just to, to prefix this 
like we're saying, oh, functions are good for React and that this other stuff is hard. It's not really, re- this other stuff is not really, re- it's not React's job, right? It's just that, it's just that the, the, um, the paradigms that have become popular in JavaScript because of the success of libraries like React have spilled out into the non-UI parts of JavaScript. So if you look at, like, if it feels weird to import a class in React, and people start exporting functions from their libraries instead, like you're not going to want to open a node server and import like, you know, classes, but like, that's the problem because like, even though it's both JavaScript, it's like different constraints, different capability set, uh, different needs in those environments. So, you know, we, we were like passing around this current user thing and in, in our get server side props or whatever. And I asked like, can we just like memoize this? Like, is there an easy way to memoize this? Like in rails, you can just say current user and, the first time it's called, it will grab it from the database. But then any other time it's called, maybe you can you can just get it. Um, it it'll just use the cache value of it. Um, so there's like no way to do that. We you have to thread it through um, because there's there's just no like layers for that sort of thing, right? Um, to be fair, some some frameworks will provide kind of like a yes. quote unquote controller layer. Yes. Um, yep. But yeah, um, I don't also too like just kind of set the stage like I don't think that stuff is popular in JavaScript and I think for good reasons I think the reason is mainly that there's a lot of churn in JavaScript frameworks I, I think it's safe to say like react is is one at this point right. but um, yeah over like the last 10 years right. the JavaScript stack was constantly changing so for you to go to a quote-unquote full stack solution um, was risky because Thirty percent of it could be outdated in two years from now. Right. So, so I think it was really hard to sell people on the Rails architecture JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Good reason. Like I think for a very good reason. If you're yeah. wary of that, I think it's um it's good. Yeah. To be. But but going back to your point, like wh- why is it okay for like state like their state in UI and that, why is it okay for React to have that? Whereas like in the server code we were writing, we wanted to manage it, and you called out like this is behavior we're adding. It'd be nice if we had a, an object here. Um, I think it's just because I, I, mean, I guess I have to think about it more, but, but you know, this, the, the state that we're getting is coming from like a remote source, either like Hasura or Highgraph or Firebase or some combination of those things. So that matters. It matters that we know where that state is. We can't just like throw it away. Um, you know, we have to be just like, if you're writing a rails app, you have to think about like your queries and like, as you get to a mature you know, Rails or PHP app or whatever, you have to be smart or intelligent about how you query things and how you cache things and reloading things. And um, so, and, and and for those types of problems, like uh, there is a lot, I think that OOP makes it a lot easier. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I think OOP can make organizing that code a lot easier. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, put it, being able to put, have an instance of something. First of all, it's just how you naturally think of it. Like, I have a video. I have an instance of a video. Right. It doesn't need to compose with anything. Like, right. It doesn't, you don't need to take a video and compose it with, I don't know, a user account team. It's more like these objects need to, um, they have behavior with each other in the sense of like, can the team access the video? Right. But you're you're, you're rarely composing these things into some like higher form U- UI. I, I keep thinking of UI whenever I talk about this. Maybe that's like a bad way to think of it. Um, 
And then also just the fact, yeah, I like that you said it's short-lived. Like, you right. have to just throw it away. Right, um, right, exactly. Which is nice. Um, there's this talk from, like, the Rails community from Sandy Metz about um, composition. I don't remember exactly what it was called. It might have been, like, one of her therapeutic refactoring talks. Um, but she talked about, like, the bike shock and adding a new type of bike and how you realize, like... Um, how to use like composition over inheritance, I think was like the main idea with like polymorphism, yep. something like that. And, yep. uh, you know, you start with like when you're starting learning out, starting out learning OOP, you naturally want to use a lot of inheritance. So you have like, Oh, we have like dogs and cats. Like let's like, there's an animal that is everything. And then, you know, dog inherits from animal and cat inherits from animal. And then you add something else, like a robot dog or whatever. It's not, it's like it shares things with the dog, but it doesn't inherit from animal. So how, how do you right. do that? How, how do you have like a single tree that like can describe their relationship? So you learn in this talk that composition is a better way to solve this problem, that you can compose the bag of characteristics that are shared between the things, right? Okay, that's, yeah, that's, okay. That's, that was, that's like yeah. pretty, that's a pretty good explanation, right? Um, but, but what I was going to, the reason I talked about, wanted to talk about this is because something that really stuck with both of us, uh, from that talk was this idea of like the bike, her bike shock example. And, you know, the solid principles, one of the solid principles is that something should be uh, open to extension from closed, closed to the open, closed principle It's open to extension, but closed to modification. So she's like a bicyclist. So she, her example uses a bicycle with, and there's like four different kinds of bike shocks. And she refactors this existing code that has like three in such a way that she's able to add a fourth um, and not change anything. And that's like a that is a uh, evidence that that you have a well-designed system because that's what you would want. And this is exactly the problem that we ran into because we had basically two ways to access content as of before yesterday, which was subscriptions and, you know, a course purchase. And we were adding a third. And so we had we did some refactoring during the during the day. And ideally, uh, you would want to make it so that you can add a new purchase option and all of this code, it would be very easy to change. And so this, this, it would be easy. It would be easy to add that method without changing any of the existing code that does the common behaviors, like seeing whether this, um, access method allows this user to access this piece of content, right? Those are all things that are related, whether you're having a single purchase, a subscription or a lifetime uh, purchase. Um, and, uh, again, and if, if this was rails and there, there's, there's areas in the architecture that are like perfectly suited for this, um, the access method itself can define whether it has act, like what it means for, um, access to be granted or not granted on a specific piece of content. So a course, you know, a course purchase could say, if you can ask a course purchase, can I watch this lesson? And it could figure it out because I know my course purchase is for course one. That's a lesson from course two. So you don't something like that, right? A subscription could say, do I have access to this piece of content? The subscription could say, oh, you have an active subscription. So you do, you have a canceled subscription. So you don't. And then the lifetime purchase could also answer that question. Do I have access to this piece, specific piece of content? Yes, you do, because you have a lifetime subscription. And then if we add bundles of courses in the future, right, you can you can imagine a system like this where 
And, and in Rails, like if people haven't worked with system or any system like this, it's literally like adding a new file, you know, copying like the, the baseline. It's like has access question mark. It takes in a lesson, right? Or if we add other pieces of content in the future, like we said bundles of code and they can answer because they have the knowledge and also the graph of models, like the whole modeling layers is like key to making this work, right? So um, we kind of did that. That's, that was a big influence on how we think about problems like this. And, you know, that's that's kind of what we were doing yesterday. But it just struck us how much easier it, it would have been in, in something like Rails, of course. Oh, yeah. So much. Easier. By the way, that was a great, great explanation of uh, OO composition. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> for sure. Way, way easier. I mean, you're just off like you're when you're composing data from a bunch of different services, there's no ORM that knows how to talk to the four services that we use, nor, nor should there be. I mean, it's kind of like an unrealistic ask. Right. Um, and so you're just fetching data and passing around JSON. You know, that data you fetch right. from these services comes back as JSON objects. Right. And you're just passing that around. And um, yeah, I think one of the things for me here is like, it's painful how much latency there is where if you need, if you like fetch some data and then you need to, to see like, oh, like, do I have access to this video? Well, is this video part of a bundle? Well, let me go talk to the CMS to find out if this video is part of a bundle. Like that latency just, it adds up where in, um, I was gonna say Rails, but like in any, any ORM database system, they can, you know, lazily evaluate, let you build up queries and then execute them. Right. And they also cache them if they if they haven't changed. So you could you could you could have a method on any one of these payment um, access methods, um, payment you know access method or whatever you call it, and um, you could say can access, and then you could just give it like a lesson ID or something or a lesson, and whichever one of those you did, you could just say, okay, get me the lesson and then, okay, now get me the course. Okay, like the course access method needs to check. It needs to know the course, right? Whereas a lifetime doesn't, because a lifetime you get everything. So you don't even need to know what course a lesson belongs yeah, to. Yeah, I don't even care what course you give me. Yeah, exactly. Right, and so that's the kind of thing where the course purchase can go ahead and just ask that. It can do that query. If that lesson and course have already been loaded into the graph, Rails will give it back to you in cache. It's in Ruby memory. It's like, it doesn't matter. You don't think about that kind of thing when you're writing these, right. these, this, these methods. Um, whereas, like you said, in our code, like it's not even just that it's JSON. So it doesn't have methods that you can call on it. It's like, it's different kinds of, it's different shapes of JSON because it might be coming from a GraphQL query that was made for this or, or that. Um, yeah, some of it just comes from like the internal libraries that make their own fetch requests. Right. So it's yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess the GraphQL queries are more for the front end, right? There, there. Th this is kind of different. There was one situation where it was like, well, I mean, no, Ap Apollo has an identity map, so that's like a big. But that's the right, right, right. But I, I was but, just thinking, so, like, yeah, go ahead. They would say like, well, you know, you're loading a course. Once we get it loaded, we have it in memory. So the next time you ask for it. Right. Uh, and even if it's only for like the life cycle of a, a request response on a server. But um, yeah, we're not like, we're not using Apollo 
Um, I don't know if there's like a version of this for back end. But code. this, so let me just, here, let's, I want to spend some more time on this because yep. I think it's important. So we use, we use Hasura, which exposes our data over GraphQL. GraphQL was designed for clients to query because it helps with problems of like overfetching. And it lets you just query exactly what data you need for a page or a screen. Like if you read anything about when a GraphQL came out, that's what it was created for. Now, it's like a query language that works over HTTP. So when we started writing like fat clients, our backend APIs basically became that, but like a less good version of that. So when we first came across it, we really loved it because it was just like automatically taken care of for us. It was like enough of a standard compared to like, you know, whatever JSON APIs that people were just writing and deciding how to deal with relationships and all that. So now we are moving away from querying on the client and we're querying in our server. And so part of the power of, part of what gives Rails model layer, like a, a active record, its power is that um, it's not working with these like kind of um, these like data sets, like arbitrary like shapes of JSON data. It's, it, it can, it's really close to the database. First of all, the database is very fast. Second, it's not working with a query language that is designed to be able to give you like arbitrary graphs to, to paint on a screen. It's like working with, like you said, identity uh, set. So the reason I, I said all that is because Apollo wouldn't help us in our webhook for our next webhook for dealing with like Stripe or whatever. I guess, the, I guess this was like, we were talking about like the checkout stuff on the front end. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there's two things going on there, which is like, um, we, you're like on the one hand, like when you're, when you're working in the model layer in rails, you are, and you're work, dealing with this kind of like access control and like the business logic, right? It's like, it's like you said, it's you like the behavior. It's the behavior. behavior. Yes, exactly. exactly. It's different. It's different than like what you're querying to like give back to the front end. Right. And that's it's not, something I need data to yes. paint on the screen. Yeah. It's, I need objects and then I'm going to ask these objects a bunch of questions. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, um, just to think about all that. And, uh, and the fact that like, you know, GraphQL is the way we query our, this, this data, actually both, both are like, um, users and subscriptions and purchases and also the content layer. And we do it both for the purpose of answering these business questions and also for what needs to be shown on a screen and for the purpose of what needs to be shown on the screen, what needs to be handed to a React component, it's great. I've never really had a, a problem with that. Like, I can't think of it. I, actually, it's a wonderful developer experience to go, I need some new data for this part of the screen. Let's open up, uh, you know, Hasura's uh, uh, gra graphical and do some querying, some sorting, some filtering, whatever. You know, it's typed you know, and you, you throw it in there and you need to change something like that's great. That's great. But for this stuff, um, it's not always like the, it's, it's not, it, it, it's like, it's just not the right tool, I guess it, it's, 
it doesn't feel like the right tool, you know? Or not, yeah, not, I, I guess you, there's a couple pieces there, you know, that are missing. I think, I mean, just like uh, from experience, I think when you're working with your domain objects, you just want the full, yes, the full record. Like, yeah, exactly. I just want a blog post. And like, if I call like post.authors, I want to get back all the authors. Like if I didn't fetch the authors, don't tell me null. Don't right. tell me an empty array. Right. Like, cause then I have to figure out like, oh, is it null because I didn't fetch them? Or like, do I need to? So this concept of overfetching, um, right. I think creates more trouble yes. than it's worth yes. when you're trying when to answer you're business questions. Domain objects. Yes. Right. Yes. Now when you're doing UI, yes. this is this is this it took us a minute to get Yes. Here, this yeah, is what so. I was trying to say. Yes. When when you're trying to do UI, you're like Listen, I, I'm not displaying the authors on this screen. Like, don't give me the authors. They're not displayed here. Like, in fact, the fact that you're giving me the authors is just slowing down the rest exactly. of the data that I'm trying to paint on this screen. Exactly. So um, being able to precisely ask for what you need makes a lot of sense. You're also, that data is like an input, <coughs> an input into the, the React app and you know, all the react react is going to figure everything else out in terms of like effects or states or derived state. Uh, um, like that's where the business logic lives. Right. Um, where in the backend app, um, you kind of want all that data into classes and then classes yes. can figure all that stuff out. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's, it still it, seems it, a little like, it's a little hand wavy. I, I think you said it really nicely. I do want to say that even if you didn't, if we had some way to act, let's say we had our, you know, way to access our, Hasura is just a Postgres database. It's just on top, it's just a GraphQL server on top of a Postgres database. We could like, we could like use Prisma and like point it to our tables and like access all that stuff. That wouldn't actually, so, that that wouldn't really help us. I mean, it might help, it, it really wouldn't no, help. Have, the big have, missing have, piece, have, the biggest missing piece is like the model layer and like the right. relationship, the ORM, right, aspect of right. it. It's the ORM part, which Prisma is not the equivalent. To I can talk. Record. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about Prisma here. I have, a, I have like two Prisma apps. Cool. It's kind of the same issue where mm -hmm. you write a query and you get back JSON. Um, mm -hmm. You write you write a Postgres query. Now it's it's a like you don't have to deal with like going to multiple systems. You can. It's a lot easier to join data and and, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But you don't but, have like a TypeScript uh, class called user with like your fields, exactly. which is kind of like would be nice to see because then you could right. open up user.ts and you could add. <laughs> you know, can access or whatever you need. Now Prisma does have a thing called extends, which you can basically do like, you know, prisma.user. Oh, really? My own custom function. So you can write your own custom queries. So the way, the common way, the common thing that I see people do here is they'll add like paginate. So you can add, you can do like prisma.user.paginate25. And that's just gonna give you back 25 the 25 users and then interesting prisma dot user dot paginate 25 comma 25 and that's going to give you the next 25 users starting at user 25 but you so can't you can add like, fun you can't add methods like for behavior like you can't say to, like to to i haven't seen anything that adds methods for behavior to a loaded user or whatever <laughs> to the the return object um now you could of course like do you could invent your own system here yeah you know where like you do like a proxy on the return data, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like that. But um, I haven't seen anything like that. <laughs> it might exist, so um, hmm. yeah. Interesting.
Well, hopefully, eventually, someone in the JavaScript ecosystem will make this because I would really, <laughs> I would very much like it. I also know that there's plenty of people who use functional programming languages um, to build systems and there's ways to organize functional code that have nothing to do with UI. Um, and they would say there, there's, there's no need for objects. It's just, it's just where I came from. And so that's how I think we both naturally think about these kinds of things. And I think, well, I think if would, I could find someone this. who's worked on a similar system to ours, what we just did yesterday and show them what it looks like to be able to add a new purchase type, a new access type and how easy it is, right. To organize it like that. Um, it would just be, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of people who maybe haven't seen that kind of thing yet. I do think with server components that we, um, you know, the time is ripe for a full stack framework that, given that you can, you now have code running on the server, React basically controls more of the environment. Um, it's not just, oh, it'll work with any backend and you just thread data through over an API. It's it's taking on more of the environment that your code is running in. So I think- Yeah, I guess my question is like the mutation side, because like components are still about rendering. So it, see, it seems to me like it's still mostly about rendering. I think the issue is just stepping back from that. It's just React is made to run in the browser. Yeah. Therefore, it works with any backend you want. Yeah. Therefore, it's very hard to 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 yep. get a full stack solution completely surrounding every backend. Yep. So I think given now that React runs on the server, you could you could make um, what do they call them like meta frameworks? Is right. That like the term for React, you could make a, a meta framework that says we're going to use Prisma. It, right, right. Um, and this is how you're going to ask for data. Right. And like you would be, you know. It, you could build on top of that and you would get these yeah. higher level things that make the, yeah. the kinds of things we're talking about easier. The, yeah. the surface area of where React is running is growing right. because of server components. And therefore you can make more assumptions about the environment and, and so on. And so, yeah, I do think like it is much easier now to push this like full stack react narrative than it was maybe five years ago well said. that's my prediction at least i like it i like it i think i think it's a great place to wrap it up cool awesome well hopefully by the time you hear this uh you can buy a lifetime subscription buildui.com i think yeah. you definitely will be able to so um that's fun we're gonna talk more about that i guess we'll talk more about that later but um if you follow us on twitter and watch our videos um about the kind of th stuff we're teaching over there. Right now we got a remix course going on. We got a tailwind course going on. Um, and you're gonna be working on a React Server Components course very soon, so. Yeah. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, you can check out buildjoy.com. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. <laughs>